you can't limit television because when you put a child in front of a television for one hour, their brain activity flatlines for four hours after that. It actually takes, there's actually a hangover effect on passive video consumption, just like there's a hangover effect with, with drugs or alcohol. Welcome to Satori Prime's Have It All podcast, where you get your fix of personal development without any of that fluff. A podcast dedicated to the unending quest of self-discovery and remembrance. You'll discover new breakthrough thinking and feeling technology that will cause shifts in all areas of your life, your finances, your body, relationships, and most importantly, your mind. You'll uncover your truest self and for probably the first time in your life, feel 100% worthy of having it all. It's time to stop talking and fantasizing about your dream life and start living it. So get ready to have your mind expanded in the best way possible. Now, fair warning, if you implement what you learn here, your life will never, ever be the same. So are you ready to have it all? Let's go. All right. So again, I'd love to start with just an amazing acknowledgement that someone wrote to us on iTunes and this person named Funk Yeah, which is an awesome name, wrote uh, with the headline, My Aha Moment. By the way, for all of you listening, I will be reading these uh, starting every single podcast going forward. So if you'd like to receive a free, amazing gift, just make sure you go to iTunes, leave us a review. And when I read yours, just go and email me at elon at and I will personally send you a wonderful gift. So Funky Air writes, I cannot get enough of this podcast. Elon and Guy have ignited a spiritual awakening and realization exploration of self that I've been craving for so long. It's not just about inspiration. This podcast is a tool to better understand yourself and your role and others' roles within the universe. I've experienced a positive shift in my communication, relationships, professional advancements, and even parenting. I often find myself screaming, yes, 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 while listening. Thank you. And thank you, Funk Yeah. Reach out to me, Elon at satoriprime.com, and I will send you a wonderful gift. All right, and now let's get to the new show. So welcome, everybody. Uh, I'm very excited. Happy Friday. Good morning, good afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world. Um, this is a guest that we've had on here before, but I feel like right now is probably the most timely time to have him on again. Um, so I met Daniel a bunch of years back, and he at the time was um, helping people structure homeschooling for their kids in the most brilliant, smart way. So you can kind of do it hands off as much as possible, hire the right people, do the right things, etc. He's homeschooled his two children, which um, he'll share with you as well. And um, we recently spoke and now that everyone's kind of distance learning, I know some places call it crisis learning, which is just crazy to me. Um, but I figured it'd be amazing to get some tips and insights from someone who's been doing it for over a decade, um, because while the two are different, homeschooling and distance learning, I think there's a lot of things that we can uh, learn from Daniel here. So welcome back to the show, Daniel. Hey, it's, it's good to be here. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap between uh, distance learning and homeschooling. There's a lot of overlap 
in everything, right? So, well, well, let's start with this. Is there as much alcohol drinking by the parents in uh, homeschooling as there is in distance, distance learning? Because I've found that that's pretty much the coping mechanism for most people right now. I've, I've read that that's the coping mechanism. It's not, it's not good. <laughs> coping mechanisms, you know, are not. Not good. Yeah. I, uh, all right. Before we dive into all of that, um, just give people a little bit of background of, of who you are and, and uh, how you got to this place. All right. Well, I am 45 and a half years old or so. And I live in Manhattan right now. Behind me is the Hudson River. You can't see it because it's too bright. But I wasn't born here. I grew up in Massachusetts, went to the University of Pennsylvania in, uh, I don't know, 1992. Math and economics, graduated early, was a trader on the Philadelphia Stock Exchange starting in 1995. So I have almost 25 years of experience uh, trading bull and even bear markets because the industry that I traded was in a bear market. It was gold back then. So I have a lot of experience with volatile market conditions that people don't have today. And um, moved to New York City, chased a girl, <laughs> had, got married, had kids. And really my, my story is that when my son was three and a half years old, I started doing Kumon workbooks with him every single day and he went vertical. We did a lot of workbooks for a year and a half and he went from writing the numbers one to 10 right up into starting algebra by the age of five and one eighth. He was nine months away from kindergarten and he was beginning algebra. So I knew he wasn't going to go to school. My wife was still not quite you know, there yet. I knew he'd never go to school. I actually never even heard of the word homeschooling, never even heard it until wow. I was 30, 30 something years old. But that was the path that we went because it would have been wrong to send him to school. So that was years ago. My son, John, now is 15. He's getting close to 15 and a half years old. And like Elon said, I've been doing this for well over a decade. And I've been, you know, I homeschooled John. I homeschooled his younger sister. And at some point, I quit trading the markets. And I started working with the parents of Tiger Moms out on Long Island and in Queens, New York City area, and teaching them math. That was my first step away from uh, the markets. And as time got on, as I spent more time with my own kids, I started spending more time with other people's kids and I ended up developing a business. And if, if you're online, you can see that I have a microphone in front of me, EB. I'm, the Einstein Blueprint is my brand and my product. And I believe all children have vast infinite potential, not just with math, and so therefore now I help parents uh, with everything from reading and writing to chess and entrepreneurship, homeschooling, after schooling, you name it. Half of my clients and customers are, have kids in school and half of them are educating their kids outside the system. Awesome. So let's kind of differentiate before we dive into all this. Like what is the difference between, as you see it, between what most parents are facing right now, distance learning, et cetera, um, versus homeschooling? Because I know we can talk about it, but I think there's, there's some clear differences. Well, ho homeschooling, even in the first place, is a misnomer because we're never home and we don't do school. So it's very tough to talk about something when every time you refer to it, it's a misnomer. Ho homeschooling, is, it's really impossible to put a word on what I call education outside the system because so many people do it so many different ways. You could be sure. a tiger parent, or you could be a hippie and let the kids eat, you know, play video games all day. So it's very hard to label it. But even now, what we do is different 
because of all the restrictions. A big part of education outside the system is that you can go to libraries and you go to museums, you can go to the ball fields yeah. and you can travel. Now you can't travel, you can't do anything. Mm. So people are not really experiencing homeschooling or they're only experiencing a fraction of it. Maybe yeah. the worst part of it. I was, was going to say the worst part of it. <laughs> But online learning, this is something that I actually started doing in 2014. Back then, I moved to London. A dangerous thing happened. I read a book. It was about the educational power of travel. And as I was reading it, I, I was faced with the uh, unsettling. It was almost like a coaching challenge or whatever. It, the reality is that when you move, you learn a lot. And your kids learn a lot. And even though we'd moved several times, we had moved. There were lateral moves within the Northeastern Corridor. Sure. I'm giving my wife the bullet points of this book. And I said, you know, we really got to travel for the benefit of our kids. And so we ended up moving to London. I won't go into details beyond that. But we moved to London and I left behind in New York all these students of mine. One in particular in Manhattan, she wanted me to continue teaching her kids. Now, this is six years ago. It's about six years, a little over six years ago. And she said, you can teach them math over Skype. I said, no, no, I can't teach math over Skype. Because I get, you know, I sit between my kids, my students, and I, I get really meticulous and anal and Nazi-esque about how they use scrap paper and all sorts of things. I say, I can't teach math like that. But anyway, like all things that we discover in life, somebody has to force you into it or a bad situation or adversity. And I started teaching math online. And what I discovered was that it was about 95% as effective with young students. That's pretty right good. Off, right off the bat, before I even figured it out. It was still effective. And I found out with my math genius students, who were mostly Asian kids on Long Island, that it forced them to verbalize what they were writing on paper. Hmm. Whenever you force someone to verbalize, it doesn't matter whether they're playing chess or the piano, it turns the learning experience into a multi-sensory experience. And it actually improves and accelerates the learning process when they speak it out. So for my higher level students, right away, it was more effective. Wow. So my my indoctrination into the world of online learning. And I will give you one other example. Chess. If you're a chess teacher, you're constantly setting up positions on a board, moving the pieces, putting them back and showing different variations online. You can do that with mouse clicks forward and back and you can import saved games. So chess is something that when you teach it one-on-one -on -one online, it drastically improves the effectiveness of the one-on-one -on -one instruction. And, hmm. And let's just talk about that for a second, because the idea of learning online, your kids or your audience's kids might have a teacher and a lecture environment, but the promise or the upside of online learning is that they can get one-on-one -on -one instruction from anyone on earth. In yep. fact, I know people who have a grandmaster in India teaching their kid chess for $10 an hour. My brother was getting taught the Ukrainian language for $3 by a PhD for $3.50 an hour. So there's a lot of good things that can happen. There's a lot of untapped potential in online learning totally. that haven't experienced or seen it. They have to get, just like I had to get dragged into it against my will, hopefully a lot of people who are learning about Zoom are, are learning about like some ways it could be used like more effectively. One other example, my sister, my sister, my daughter, Christine, she just started a book club online right away, $5 an hour. And she has for ages, kids ages seven to 11. She has a, they read five chapters of a book and she has a slideshow and they discussion questions and back. So cute. 
and, and it's literally it's literally five dollars an hour. And my son is also teaching chess online. So your kids can teach on they can learn online, they can teach online. This whole game has changed whether the virus goes away or persists yeah. or the quarantine, whatever. So this online thing, it's only a fraction of homeschooling. If this is a fraction that you actually like, when it's all said and when it's all over, I would I would I would, I will ask you, I'll beg you to investigate the other things that you can do with homeschooling, like yeah. teach your kids entrepreneurship, like travel the world, like go to museums and so on and so forth. So that's my, that's my shtick. That's my, uh, yeah. And, and so that's, uh, that's really good. I think for people to just understand that, like the, the first thing that I've noticed with parents is for any time, whether it's teachers right now are in freak out mode, uh, parents are in freak out mode because, Everyone, on top of the fact that everyone's in freak out over what's happening outside their doors, uh, which puts us all in like a heightened stress state, we've all been thrown into this other thing that we have no idea what we're doing, how we're doing. It's not like the teachers are there and they've been grounded in this. So everyone's kind of learning together and it's creating a little bit of chaos. And so from someone, because I'm sure you probably you've worked with parents as they've transitioned from school to homeschool situations and you've watched the chaos and uh, you've watched, you know, kids having to adapt to new scheduling, to new rules, to new ways of learning and things like that. I'd love for you maybe just to take a little bit of time and maybe share some either pitfalls or things that, that have really helped, especially in the early stages to both get the kids excited and I think for those listening right now, maybe give some parents uh, a greater sense of peace of mind and like that they can do this and it actually benefit their kids. Yeah, they can do this. And, you know, whether you think you can or you think you can't, I mean, you have a progressive minded audience. And so yes. they, they, this isn't anything new, but whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. And if parents say things like, well, I can't do this, I can't, if they have that mindset, it doesn't matter whether it's about losing weight or starting a business or totally. breaking through with their spouse, they're done. But if you have a kernel of um, optimism, kernel of a belief that you can do something, then you, you need to, you need to kind of like cultivate that and try to get it to grow. The transition is different, is definitely difficult. And I can talk about a bunch of different ways. First of all, if the kids are older, if they're in high school, it's a little bit easier because the kids are used to doing lots of work at home, right? They take, books home and they do homework. So they're used to working home. If the kids are young, like yours are young, yeah. they're not used to doing a lot of work at home. So they see home as a place for decompression, yeah. as a place for television, video games, playing outside, whatever. So home is, it has a purpose because school is stressful. It's, there's no doubt about it. School is not a place that, that, that gives us energy. It's a place that saps energy. It's just like working in a corporate job that sucks the life out of you. And also, a lot of parents work, they have, the very few parents are lucky enough that they get to have a job that energizes them, right? So uh -huh. a lot of times the home for the parents is also a place of decompression, a place for dad to play video games, put the TV on to relax. So the big transition is that the home is switching from just a romper room, if we can characterize it one way or another, to it's also now an office because mom and dad are working from home. Yep. And it's also a, a, a school or technically a classroom. Absolutely. So that's the big transition. And if you, if, if you fight that, if, you, if, if somebody says, nope, this is going to be a place only for screens, then you're stuck. You're going to be waiting 
for the school to come back. Let me give you another analogy, the gym and you work out a lot. And I, and I know that, you know, a lot about people who work out yep. and you hear all the limiting beliefs about exercise. Absolutely. And we all know people, and I may even be married to one who works out at a gym that they pay $30 an hour for a class or whatever. And when there's no class, they don't work out. Yep. They right behind me. I don't know if you can't see it, but I have a mat. If they can't do push-ups and lunges and planks on their own, if they need that structure, then they're never going to reach their physical peak. When they're traveling, they can't work out. If it rains, yeah. all the gyms are closed right now. Everything. Yep. So all the schools are closed. And if you can't figure out how to get your kid to move forward in math and reading and focus and concentration, if you're just going to wait for it to reopen again, it might not reopen again until September. That's the way it's I mean, looking right Melissa, now. Melissa right here wrote um, that, and I think this is going to happen nationwide. I, when, once they close schools in March, I was like, we're not going to go back to school this year. But uh, there are schools, so like she was saying, that schools in Michigan are now closed for the rest of the year. They've already uh, said that. And like, you know, her basic question, which I think a lot of parents have, is kind of what we were talking about. It's like um, her daughter doesn't love school to begin with. Uh, she was diagnosed with ADHD. And, uh, it's been, so she feels the struggle already. And then the Melissa is just saying like, how do I help her learn what she needs to learn, but also ignite some passion for her in the learning process? Because now like what you were pointing to, she's out of school. There isn't someone hammering over, like, you got to do this. You got to do this. So now there's got to be this self-motivation process that I think for, you know, when my kids, they're a little bit younger. So it's like, the, the stuff is easy, right? But for someone who I think is like in middle school, maybe early high school, um, I think it could be a lot more difficult. Well, let me answer her question about ADHD. Yeah. I mean, it depends how you look at it. You could look at it as a gift or you could look at it as a flaw. No kid who has ADHD is happy in school. That's just, I mean, in the homeschooling world, we are filled with kids who have ADHD tendencies and who once they pull them out of school, they don't need the medication anymore. So I, I, I'm very familiar with the concept of ADHD. Yeah. And um, that's why they're unhappy at school. So my, my solution to everybody is take the kids out of school, whether it's a virus or not. So that's my bias. <laughs> that's my bias. But, but, but the point is, is, it's like, what can you do at home? Well, with ADHD, well, let's talk about the, the plus side of ADHD. Almost all the really high achieving entrepreneurs will tell you they have ADHD slash dyslexia. Almost Absolutely. all of them, like 75% of them, something like that have it. The op what's the opposite of ADHD? That's the kid who sits in school and just passively accepts whatever is doled out. They do whatever they're told. That's a whole nother problem. You know, being passive and not proactive and, and not being uncomfortable with something that, that's stupid. That's a whole other problem. So I, at first, you know, my first advice to everybody and people, they don't always want to hear it. Just reframe how you think of it, right? It could be, you know, when we all put our problems in the middle of the table, everybody pulls them their own back because these are the ones that we're comfortable with. But let me just give you some idea about what you asked earlier. What, what should it look like? What should they do? What's the first aid? What's the emergency treatment? Yeah. The kids have to get up at 8 a.m., okay? They have to, if they're in school, they have to get up and get on a bus. They have to get to class. There is a guaranteed starting time. The, the best thing about school is the imposed structure. It's the imposed accountability. That's the best thing about school. If, you're, if, if they don't have that anymore, if they can sleep in, then they're going to stay up late and they're going to know you at 10 o'clock. Then they're going to be tired. Then they can't get up in the morning. Like you're done. You can't do anything. You have to have an ironclad starting time. It could be 730. It could be 
I mean, I think eight is as late as I'd let it go. Uh, so you have to have that. Before that, before 8 a.m. start, before they're sitting down and doing their math, and we'll talk about that in a second, they need to move their bodies. Mm. Okay? So move your body, recess first. I didn't understand this, you know, 12 years ago, but mm. I've been doing this for a long time. Recess first. Move, what do all high-performance people do? What do I do? I get up and I stretch for almost two hours. I go out for a walk. It, their day should look like, their ideal day should look like our ideal day. And you want to get the willies out. And like I tell people all the time, the parents' first job is to tire their kids out. Like it doesn't matter whether you're on vacation in a tiny hotel room or a tiny Manhattan apartment or even a bit, you got to tire them out. That's awesome. But it also helps their brain. So exercise first at eight o'clock, you do math. You slide, you know, you might not even eat breakfast first. I, I call it math for breakfast. I have some, some clients and I advise them, look, that kid wants to eat. They'll eat when they're done their first page of math, their second page of the math work or, or whatever. Wow. You've got to do math first. You've got to eat that frog right away. It's the hardest subject by design. It's, math is the, the whole benefit of math is that it's going to stretch their brain, that it's going to hurt. They do that first, then the rest of the day is downhill. You try to do math with a kid at 8.30 at night when their willpower is sapped, when your willpower is sapped, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. So math so just, first. just to be clear, re, so you were saying like move your body. So they wake up, do that first, then then after that, like breakfast or math, basically like before breakfast. Like I tell people don't feed the kid or they can start it. Or I, I literally would say like you can have your, like it depends on the kid. You know, it really, it really depends on the kid. But like basically, it, well, if you eat like sugared cereal, sometimes it can get hard to do the concept. With homeschooling, I'm a big believer in incentives, right? So I used to, and let me just change subjects a little bit. I used to have a box of a Lego set on top of the refrigerator. And when my son was done his next three workbooks, he could get that Lego set. So that was kind of like an intermediate term goal. The, the immediate goal was you could have breakfast or you're not having lunch until you've done your work or we're not going to the park until you finish this. So the homeschooling parent has leverage over kids that is that a teacher in a classroom never could actually have. And so it doesn't matter what it is. Some kid, like you, you, you could spank my daughter. She would laugh at you. It didn't mean anything to her. <laughs> if you told her no dessert, oh, she would cry like river, rivers. You have to figure out, you know, what's important to them. Because when they say they don't want to do their math or they say, oh, I don't want I don't like this. They're just testing you to see Absolutely. If, it's, if it's optional. Yeah. And so if you fail that test, then they're going to fail their math test. So like, and, the, and the, it changes with each kid and over the years. And so homeschooling parents, we have to figure out with carrot and stick how to get our kids to do things like you're already doing this. No kid wants to brush their teeth, but it's, it's for their own good. And they can't wrap their mind around the long-term impact of it. Like we're constantly forcing our kids to do things that are good for them in the long run because we're actually the, the parents. So let me just recap. So, designated starting time, math right away, offline is better than online, but online has its merits. And then at nine o'clock, they need to read, right? So if your kid just did math every day for one hour from eight to nine, doesn't matter whether they're four years old, 14 years old, 16, they did math from eight to nine, and then they read a book from nine to 10. Every single day, they would learn more in those two hours by 10 a.m., then they would learn all year long. Their imagination will be stoked. Their concentration will be higher. Their math confidence, wow. will, that's it. It's, that, it's the same thing, Elon, if you told someone, hey, 
get up, do 100 push-ups, run two miles, do 50 burpees, and stretch. Like it, it, the formula is very, very simple. They don't need any equipment. They don't need to be educated by Harvard. A lot of parents say, I'm not a teacher. I'm not this. Just tell the kids, shut up and read. My, my reading curriculum is literally shut up and read. They can skim books. They can, I mean, it doesn't matter what, whether it's Diary of a Wimpy Kid, whether it's comic books, it doesn't matter what it is, just an hour of reading and an hour of math. Now at a higher level, I would say they should do a half hour or more of writing. Blank sheet of paper, they can write about whatever they want. They can write, I hate being quarantined. I hate Corona. Uh, <laughs> they can write about their favorite whatever. So though that's literally reading, writing, and arithmetic. That's it. Education has gotten very complicated over yes. the years. But can, what has changed about math in the last like 10,000 years? Nothing has just, changed. Just the, the stupid way that they make them do it. <laughs> but, but the numbers and the answers are all the same. They've got to come up with a new way. Otherwise, they got nothing to sell you. So the average math book in America is about 600 and something pages, like around the seventh, eighth grade. It's about 600 pages. That same math book in Europe is 212 pages. Wow. It's, it's the same thing. If you and I were selling an info product, we could, put, we could put it on an index card, but no one will pay us for the index card. Yep. So they, they make the book fatter and they fill it up with word problems. And they, they you know, just so that it, it, like they should, we should be using the same math books as from 1980. Nothing has changed with, with, with algebra or geometry or anything. Yeah. But it's a business for McGraw-Hill. Wow. How interesting. How interesting. So, so basically, okay. So there's like core stuff that obviously these, these teachers are giving students today, like activities and things like that. And they, and I think they do kind of cover, you know, math, science, writing, reading, etc. Um, and I know that those are assignments that obviously parents, uh, teachers are expecting parents to, to do. Would you recommend that people do that for like, for example, like the math stuff, you know, my, my son goes through the math stuff or my daughter goes through the math stuff in 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, it's, it's like pretty, it's at the level that they're at at school, but it's like pretty basic. They, they can fire through it. Um, so right now, I'll just, I'll just give you mine because maybe this will resonate for other people. So right now, the way we have it is uh, they have like their morning routine, um, daily breakfast, things like that. And then basically from 9 to 11 is when we do the, the online learning piece that they have. Uh, and they'll just go through their, their activities. Sometimes they're done in a half hour, sometimes an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. Um, would, I mean, I'm assuming we still have to kind of do those assignments. Would we keep those for later? Would we have them do more open-ended stuff? Like what would your suggestions be? Well, I'm a big believer in long days and long sessions, right? So, you know, I had my kids doing three-hour math sessions when they were four years old. Wow. So when you talk about 15 minutes of math, that to me is warm-up, right? So 15 minutes of math is not stretching their brain. Now, let me, let me, let me make the argument that you should do more extra math because if you make math easy next year, they will spend half a second on their math. The next, the rest of their life, they'll spend half math will become something that's so easy that if their math takes them 15 minutes now, it would take them 30 seconds or a minute 
if they were accelerated to their potential. So yeah, the reason sure. I pushed my math, math so hard on my son was because I wanted to be done with it. Like I wanted to do chess. I wanted to do piano. I wanted to do travel. And now we want to do entrepreneurship. So you can go at the pace of school or you, you can go beyond it. So, I mean, it, every situation is different. And I'm hearing people tell me their kids get too much work from the, the online stuff. And I'm hearing also that they get too little. So I'm hearing both. So yeah. every situation. And I think each school district is, is different. Each teacher is different. And each teacher, district. yeah, agreed. But yeah, I mean, they have enough time. Like say your kids did nine to 11. Your kids are eight and a half and seven. One of the arguments people always say to me when I say do math with your kids when they're three and four is they say, oh, let the kids be kids. I said, they've got like 12 hours in a day. If they did two hours of math, they would still have 10 hours a day to enjoy, to quote, enjoy their childhood. I want my kids to enjoy their adulthood, their whole life. I don't want them to be on a slow track. So I want to be done with math. I want them to be accelerated with reading. I want, I want, all, I want to be playing offense, not defense. I don't want to be just doing what everybody else is doing. I want to set my own pace. And that pace is dictated by what they're capable of. Yeah. So I can guarantee you right now, your kids, I mean, if I sat down and did math with them, how long do you think they would last? At, at most 30 minutes. All right. Okay. Let's do the bet. I'll bet you I can get one of them to do an hour. <laughs> I, every, every, for years, people have been telling me my kid can only do this. And I sit, and I sit down with them and they'll say, my kid can do 20 minutes of math, my kindergarten, and I'll do an hour and 20 minutes straight with them. Wow. So like this, this comes into, or brings up like the issue of like, what we call it? Um, group instruction. These kids are not being pushed. Sure. Right. So they're, they're not being pushed. They're just checking a box and like it creates all sorts of asymmetries, right? Like, so your kid's really good at reading. They're not getting to read enough. Your kid's really good at math. They're not, they're being held back. I would rather that reading kid go light, light years ahead so that they have time to focus on their math and, and vice versa. Got it. I mean, same thing with reading, right? So if your kid read an hour a day, very, very few kids do this, whatever work, online reading work, it would be so easy. Like, you, you know, they'd be able to flick it off like a fingertip uh, booger or whatever. It, <laughs> it, it, would be, it would be really easy for them. So, I, I mean, that might not be the answer you're looking for, well, but well, my answer is... Well, open- I, I like this because, okay, so let, let's say I say 30 minutes, right? And like, I know that there are different ways to engage any human mind. I'm not just kids, but any human mind. So if a kid was really, for example, struggling or didn't want to do math, et cetera, and, and a parent says to you, okay, 20 minutes at most, like what are the things that you're doing with them to have them sit for an hour and 20 minutes and be engaged? Okay. So here's what I'll do for you in this thread. We're on Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. So I will drop a, I will drop a, a video. So it's one-on-one instruction, but let me describe what we're doing because my math drills are a blank piece of paper. They're not a 600 page common core textbook. I use this thing or I use this thing called skip counting where I would say to you, what's two times 30. And you'd say 60. I'd say count to 60 by twos, two, four, six, eight, ten, And we do it verbally. Young kids will have them write it. All right, what's three times 30? 90. All right, count by threes to 90. Good. Fives to 150, tens to 300. And then we say, we're gonna, what's nine times 30? To 270. How do you add nine? Well, 
we had 10 and then we come back one. So we start at nine, we go 19, no, 18, 28, no, 27. So what we do is we learn to skip count up and then down. And I say, well, count from nines to 270 and then count from 270 back to zero, 270, 261, 252. And I have my kids do these drills over and over and over again. Now wow. you're young, but maybe you saw Karate Kid. Did you see Karate Kid? Yeah. Wax on, wax, wax off. On. Yep. He, he said, I'm not learning. This isn't karate. I'm not learning anything. And then at the end, you know, he, 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 these drills, these are Karate Kid self-mastery drills. When we skip count up and down, forward and back, and then I'll say to you, you know, what's 30 times 17? And you'll say, whoa, that's 510. Now I'll say count to 510 by 17. Now this is at a higher level. Now that's hard yeah. to do. You're holding numbers in your head. You're visualizing and whatever. When my kids get it wrong, boom, we scoot back right down to zero. So they're doing the same thing over and over again, but they're getting better because they're half memorizing. It's half sinking in. But what they're really gaining is computational fluency, hmm. right? So they're, they're learning how to move through the, the, the number system up and down without any friction. And then when they need to go six times seven, they've already been counting by sevens. They already know seven sevens is 49, so therefore it's 42. So it teaches addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, and even factoring, which is something that no one else teaches, all in one swoop. So when I'm working with kids, I'm literally taking them to the frontier of that learning curve. Like, they, like I got a kid, he knows how to add, add nine, but he's struggling with sevens. Sevens are a little bit harder. So we're working right on that. And I have, you know, it's all one-on-one -on -one stuff. Sure. So that's how I engage them. Now, these drills are so simple that the mom without a PhD can say, all right, write out your seven. So he's he literally going to go over with a blank sheet of paper and just write them out because he can't do it in his, he or she can't do it in their head right now. So they're just going to write them out down, write out their eights, write out their elevens over and over and over and over again. And again, this, this teaches them everything. And so when a child is working at the frontier of their learning curve, it hurts a little bit, yeah. but they're also getting better. So what I'll do is I'll time them. So how long does it take you to count by nines to 270? It might take them three, four minutes. Then it, they, but we watch the time come down and down and down. Next thing you know, they're under a minute. And, and they're excited by the progression of them doing it faster and faster. And they and don't faster. feel like they're stupid. Yeah. So it's a self-mastery drill. So what they'll do in math is they'll promote C students and, or B students. And math, as you know, it, it is foundational and there's momentum involved. And you totally. can't build on sand. So if a kid, I can ask a, a teenager right now, what's seven times 13? And I can tell you by their answer, by their reaction, by their gesticulation, what they're going to score on the SAT math section. <laughs> Just by asking them that. If they say 91, I'll ask them how they did it. If they say 70 plus 21, I'll know they're over 700. They're adding it. They're, they're doing what's called left to right math. If they're saying I need paper, or if they're stressed out, I know they're below 600. Wow, One question. interesting. And it all goes back to something that I have four-year-olds don't know how to do seven times 13. Because wow. they, don't, they don't teach us this in school. They teach us the whole wrong way to add, subtract, multiply. Not only teach us the wrong way, they go too slowly. And then they mess it up with common core math, like you alluded to, and so on and so forth. So you can engage kids with anything. I mean, let me give you another example. J Jerry Seinfeld. Everybody talks about attention spans, how low attention spans are. Jerry Seinfeld said their attention span is infinite if you're entertaining them, right? Hmm. A kid who plays video game has infinite attention span. There's, there's levels, there's self-mastery, there's all these things that make them, there's, there's dopamine too. It's probably the worst, not a great example, but it, it, the right kind of education, which is not in school, not with 30 kids, not by force, 
not with a common core textbook, but if you have the right kind of education, you can actually push kids harder and have less stress and actually go further. So it's like a win, 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 win for everybody. But this is, you know, look, I, I have, I have a math program where I share all these things. I have it right now and, and I'll give it to your people for like, it's like $80. I tell everybody everything. It's $80. They give a math program. I'll give you the link. It's actually not live now. I closed it, but I'll give you the link and your people That'd be awesome. jump in where I talk about all, they can see all these drills, but th this is it. Like when my son, let me just give you an example. My son was doing algebra at five, calculus at seven. We quit, quit math at eight. I had him take the ACT when he was 12 and he got a 35 out of 36 in the <laughs> math section without doing any math for four years because he, he knows like the stuff sunk in and it stayed there. It wasn't like in a short term memory. Right. So like I've been, I've been teaching math since I was 14. I've never seen anybody teach math the way I teach it. And so like, you know, math is a pain point. It's yeah. A pain oh, for, point. for so many people, it's a pain point for school and even in the homeschooling community, because the homeschooling community tends to be dominated by moms and the dads are a little bit too off. But if you can take, if you can check the math box, not only will your kids feel like they're intelligent, not only will their intellectual self-esteem go up, but then they have time to practice the violin. Yeah. And they have, they have time to go start a side hustle business, play in the, whatever, go totally. in the drama club. And if they have need, if they need work on reading, they can work on, but you gotta, you gotta get rid of that. Math is like one sixth of the school curricula, but it's at least represents half of the pain, agony, yeah, I think you're right. There's something about a child who has confidence in their abilities, regardless of what that is, that, that makes them feel smart. And I think once you feel smart, it becomes a lot easier to do certain things. Um, something that just came, came to mind right now, I remember when we first spoke, um, which was revolutionary, by the way, for me and our household, uh, you had like a pretty strict no screen time thing. Obviously now your kids are, you know, I know your son runs his own podcasts and helps people build in linked LinkedIn profiles and does sales funnels and things like that. Um, all the education for, for distance learning, even for homeschooling today is on screens. Um, how, how are you navigating that? How are you managing that? Like what, what, what's your stance on that at this point? Yeah. I mean, my stance hasn't changed and I think the screens have gotten worse. And when you think about it, Ooh, I just went blurry. Mm -hmm. When you think about it, the people that are designing TikTok, there's billions of dollars that have gone in to make that thing awesome. And there's psychologists and Harvard PhDs and like their ability to innovate and make this stuff addictive and social and whatever far surpasses our ability to, to resist it. Yeah. So you have to understand what you're up against at first. When I was working with my kids, when we had a house, I had three computers in one room, desktops that couldn't move. And I sat next to my kids. And the analogy I always use is if, if you're out on the frontier and you have an 11 year old kid, that kid needs to know how to shoot a gun to protect the family, to feed the family, whatever. But Pa is standing right over his shoulder. Mm. And especially when he's teaching them, right? They have to learn that. And so to me, technology is the same way. Technology is, it's like nuclear power. It can either light up a city or blow up a city. These mm. screens are, you know, I, I don't recommend other people doing what I do. And if I had a do-over, I would have my kids 
on, on the screens even less. Now, there's zero video games. We don't even own a television. Zero video games, zero television in my family. And I will not even take on high paying, I will turn down $50,000 um, consulting fees from families who will not agree to what I call zero TV and zero video games. And that's because, as you know, again, we'll go back to the fitness analogy. Everybody understands that. You can work out with Arnold Schwarzenegger on Sunday, but if you eat donuts and fried chicken during the week and you don't practice, then you're just undermining whatever you did with him. Totally. And those, those devices, those screens, they undermine kids' bodies and minds. It, it puts narratives in their heads. It's just it's really bad. Like you can't, you, you can't limit them. This is, this is like the idea. Everyone says it, everything in moderation or whatever, limited. You can't limit television because when you put a child in front of a television for one hour, their brain activity flatlines for four hours after that. It actually takes, there's actually a hangover effect on digital passive video consumption, just like there's a hangover effect with, with drugs or alcohol. And people don't get that. They think it's only an hour. It's only harmless. It's innocuous. It's pure poison. So if, if your kid's struggling with math and reading, you have to understand why it's painful for them to sit and, and, and concentrate. You have to understand why a book is boring, right? A book, you know, a book is not interesting compared to what Hollywood is putting out. It's really not. And so like my, if you put a box of donuts on the salad bar, no kid is going to grab, is going to make a salad. They're going to eat donuts. So I just say, call off the competition and have the kids grow up without any screens. And look, this is very hard to do, and we'll get to the, the, the learning part of it in a second. It's very hard to do when all their friends play video games. Yes. It's very hard to do when you have a millennial teacher in eighth grade who literally says, and this, I know classrooms where this happens, says to the kids, take out your iPhones and go to quizlet.com. So they actually have the phones incorporated into the classroom because oh. it's a 25 year old millennial teacher and they don't understand paper and pencil and any of this oh. other stuff. And so now when we ask our kids to go online and do their math or online to do a Zoom call and they're in the other room with a laptop, they've got another tab open and they got a video game. They're not paying attention. They're not writing things down. I mean, just because something is taught online doesn't mean that people are going to actually like benefit from it. They're, they're, they have to be monitored. That my hierarchy is desktops are ideal. Laptops, I really don't like because the kids can turn the screen away from you. Phones, the iPad, no parent yet can actually um, police an iPad. And I've seen people put all sorts of software on them. These kids, like all their friends are on it. They don't get it. So it's very, very hard to do with screens. So like you, you want your kid to read books, but if they're on the screens and TV, they'll, they'll just, it'll just never take. And so like this isn't, I mean, this is whether a quarantine or not, it makes everyone yeah. uncomfortable. Uh, people are like, I have to work. I'm on a conference call. I need my kid to shut up. I get it. I get it. We have conference calls here. I have students all day long. I have interviews all day long. But look, if you can get your kids to read, you can move mountains. It makes yeah. school easy. It makes behavioral self-control. Uh, you know, it, screens, are, screens are a crutch. People know that. You can't go in a car ride without putting a DVD on. Yeah. I drove wow. to Florida with my two young kids from Boston and New York to Florida without putting a DVD in. They had stacks of books. So if you can get your kids to read, everything, everything changes. Now, the only way to get your kids to read is, well, first of all, they have to love to read. 
you know, the only way you can get them to love to read is if they read a lot of the things that they want to read. If reading isn't just this assignment from above, Absolutely. read Shakespeare. No, no kid ever fell in love with reading because they were assigned Shakespeare. No one. <laughs> in fact, they probably dove the complete other way because I, I, I was one of those kids. I hated reading in school. Um, there, there were two books that I, I loved that we read and the rest I read Cliff Notes uh, because I, I hated reading. I didn't fall in love with reading until I actually started Satori Prime as a business. And I, I just got introduced to genres of books that I really started to love reading. And I think what's really interesting, it's like with parents, it's really easy to tell our kids what to do. And I don't feel like the kids see that what they, what they really take on is what they watch the parent doing. And so if you're like, you have to read, you have to read, you have to read, but you as a parent, you're not reading. Then it's kind of like empty words They're like, well, you don't do that. And I think for us, it's a little bit different. Like my kids have always seen me read. They, they would like come into my room. I'm always reading. They had a love for reading. We ended up getting them um, Kindles at one point, like the paper white Kindles, because they were flying through books so fast. I was like, just every day I was like going back and forth to the library. I was like, all right, there's got to be a simpler way. And then now we have like access to, you know, all the books basically. Um, and they, that's how they go to sleep every night. They'll, they'll read for anywhere from 30 to 120 minutes like they just they love it um and yes i agree it's made a profound difference in everything and what's interesting now you were talking about hollywood like they'll actually read books that have movies and i always ask i'm like all right so you read the book now do you want to watch the movie and they'll watch the movie i was like what was better and obviously like any person knows who's read books and they're the movie never lives up to the book and so it's just cool for them to get that already and be like, oh, the book is so much better than the movie, um, which, is, which is really fun. I, um, I want to switch gears just a, a touch here, Dan, and because um, someone wrote in here, which I think is an interesting question for this particular time. Um, I know socialization is, is a big thing that, that we spoke about last time. When I know with homeschooling, it's not really a, an issue because – kids are playing sports and going to museums and in this group and that group. But like specifically now kids are not able to see their friends. Kids are not able to go outside. Like I know it's like a, a, a strange time that we're all living in. And these kids are very, very social creatures. Like any, any insights or tips about that? Yeah, it sucks. My daughter, her, her friends, a lot of them are not allowed to, first of all, a lot of them are out in Hamptons or in Connecticut or wherever. We're in this section of, in, in Tribeca here, people have money and they, they kind of leave. Yeah. So it's different than Brooklyn or Queens at this time. But yeah, it sucks that they can't see their friends. Now, look, there are people that won't let their kids out of the house, which, you know, like that's, that's a little extreme. And what's also extreme is, They've, they've locked up the playground here. They've locked up the tennis courts. They took the rims off the basketball courts behind me because, wow. you know, because exercise, you know, if somebody exercises, they're, they're, they're probably, their immunity system's going to drop. But yeah, it's, it, it, I mean, it, hopefully it's fleeting this thing and we can't, we shouldn't talk about it too much other than the fact that we're living in like 
uh, Hitlerian times. And who knows that next time there's a virus, what they do to us with drones outside our windows and stuff. But I mean, this socialization thing, it, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's bad for parents too. I mean, it's bad for families. If you have an older relative, like my wife hasn't seen her mother mm. in a month because she's paranoid. Well, what if I gave, but we do this every winter anyway. She's 80 years old or whatever. You know, we're always like afraid to, and when someone has a newborn baby, you're like, well, I don't want to hold your newborn baby. Totally. I had something, you know. Totally. So that happens. But I mean, I, I, what is your question exactly about socialization? Like, like is there anything right now... Uh, because somebody asked here, Sam asked, you know, that his daughter's really uh, having a tough time dealing with the lack of social contact with other kids. I mean, we're kind of all are. Well, people are doing the Zoom hangs. Yeah, that's what we've and, been doing. And, or FaceTime or whatever. It's, it's not the same. I mean, it's not the same. I think the big issue for most people is they're just going stir crazy because they can't, they have no outlet, nowhere to go. Like I usually go down to the drinking establishment once a week and watch a ball game. And there's no ball games and uh, there's no coffee shop and there's no movie theater and you can't get your hair cut. I mean, that, that's, um, you know, this is, it's like watching a bad movie. I, I don't. <laughs> I saw, I saw a meme and there was a sign up, you know, like the billboards on top of movie theaters. And it said, we will reopen when real life stops seeming like a movie. Um, <laughs> I thought that was actually really, really clever. Um, but I'm sure you're coaching your people like to focus on what they control. Right. Like you can't control what's going on in the outside world, but you can control your thoughts, your self-talk. And, yeah. you know, positivity is a daily is a daily battle. Last night, my back went out on me. I feel like I have like a knife in my back and it's, it's, it's hard. So you have a knife in your back, your stock portfolio might go down, your business might be down, your kids are home. You can't see grandma. I mean, this is I mean, it's 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 not the depression, though. Right. Like, so people need to read books. They need to understand history. I think it's more like, I think it's more like Vietnam in the sense, but I, I don't want to elaborate on that, but, um, or the sixties, but, um, it, it's not, it, it's bad and it could get worse and you should prepare yourself for that. But today carpe diem, work on your body, clean your house, you know, work, Try to eliminate some bad habits. Try to, try to start some new good ones. Turn off that freaking television, which is just a fantasy. I mean, I don't think the TV has ever been more distortive than oh. it is now. I, my inbox is flooded with people. They think that I'm dying here. They think people are falling over in the streets in New York. And like nothing, nothing. There's nobody here, first of all. Yeah. So <laughs> there's that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, the, the streets are bare. Um, all right, so let, let's, let's switch gears here a little bit. So right now, if I'm a parent, right? So like, say we, we, we complete the core curriculum stuff, et cetera. What are some ways that people can engage their kids in activities that are exciting, um, ongoing, whether it's like project type things? You know, because like I'm always of the mindset I actually see this as a huge opportunity. I really do. I, I see this as an opportunity for them to find something, at least in my hopeful thinking, to find something that excites them so much that they want to come home. Like even if they go back to school, they want to come home and like, this is the thing that they want to just like thrive and work on. And I think for any parent that's watching this or listening, like we all want the best for our children. That's, that's a given. So what are some things that we can maybe explore 
above and beyond what, you know, they kind of have to do that could get those kids like fired up about learning from home. All right. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you only one thing. It works every time and it'll take two weeks. It's a hundred percent screen detox. We've been talking about it. I don't have any Pinterest website for you. And even if I did, (laughs) even if I did, I actually disagree with it. So this is, I mean, I I have been homeschooling, but pretty much nobody homeschools the way I do. They're all with their, we're going to do organized activities and they're going to recreate school at home without going into that. But you want your kids to have hobbies and I don't care what it is, as long as it's offline. All you have to do is unplug them and they will naturally either go into books They will go into hobbies. They will go on the trampoline. They will go outside and talk to people. They will go play in the woods and and they will decompress. Literally all you have to do is unplug and they, they will set, you will see behavioral changes. And I have tons of people, tons of emails over the years. I remember never thought it would happen, but the problem is people think we're just going to limit the screens and our neighbors are worse than us. So we're actually the good ones. Just if you go 100% cold turkey, if you get rid of that dependency, your kids will naturally, they will have so many hobbies. Uh, homeschool kids, they don't just play an instrument. Some of them play like six instruments. They, they solve Rubik's Cubes. They play chess. They, 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 they create uh, necklaces and jewelry. They do all sorts of amazing things because only in the homeschooling community do you really find like certain, not all of them, but certain people who are like 100% off screens. Once you meet kids who are 100% off screens, which I never did until I went into the homeschooling world. I was like you. I didn't read a book until I was 30, voluntarily or any of that. Once I started meeting these kids, they say, hi, Mr. Lazonis. I saw the way they behaved themselves. They were never bored. I'm bored. I'm bored. Never bored. Never bored. If you get the kids off the devices, once they learn to self-entertain and self-motivate, their mind will go, they'll get what's called T-shaped knowledge. They'll go so deep on these weird things that you couldn't even possibly predict. So that's why you, you shouldn't be the one to say, I'm going to give my kid an act. Go out there and ask someone, hey, what are you interested in that uh, your mom or dad strategically like forced upon you? No one will ever come up with anything. It's never, ever worked. Like these things have to come out, they have to come up organically and they have to come up in an environment or in a vacuum uh, 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 of no competition, right? So if there's nothing to do, if, you're, if you put your kids in a jail cell with books, they would learn to read books. They would eventually pick it up and their mind, they would get sucked in. I read about this, I think in Tim Ferriss's book or somewhere, there was a family, a mom and dad, this is, this is timeless and just a great example. A mom and dad who read books, they were doing all the right things. We're showing our kids that we like to read. They tried everything, couldn't get their kids interested in books. They went on a sailboat for, I don't know, two or three months. There was nothing on the sailboat except books. She said, once they walked off that sailboat, the kids were walking through the parking lot with the book open, like they're going to get run over by cars. And everyone, I know lots of people in the homeschooling world, they'll tell you, my kid is reading a book in the parking lot of the grocery and they're screaming at them, put that book away. And everyone who, who's also done the, the zero screens and gone full bibliophilia, they'll tell you their friends come over and they sneak off into their room to read a book because they're like, they got to see how it ends. I have pictures of my kids with their friends. There'll be four of them in a room all reading a separate book. So like 
a lot of people don't want to hear this. They don't want to do it. They don't want to believe it. They think we can moderate screens. Well, I've never seen one person yet moderate screens. Well, well, well so I, I love that. And right now, like, for example, all my kids' work is on a Chromebook. So they, they to, to hand in assignments to the teachers, you know, there, there's a given absolute, you know, like hour to two hours a day that they have to be on these things. Um, so there's, re- I don't know, like, I don't know how to circumvent that. Can't, but you can make sure they're right in front of you. And here's another thing that you can do. You can make sure you're not doing your work. Right. So one of my, the other things, so we're talking about the kids, the schedule, get up, sure. exercise, math, reading, whatever. I get up at 4am. And if you are working from home and now thrust into taking a more active role in your kid's education, you've got to be more present. So you've got to be like the dad who comes home from work, the mom who comes home from work. It's like they got to put their, their email away to be present with their kids. You got to be present like when they need you in the morning. So that means you need to move things around. You need to go to bed. I go to bed early. I go to bed before my kids and I get up before them and I get my stuff out of the way so that I have more time to devote to them. And so like, yeah, you have to be that father, that pa on the range while your kid has a shotgun, you're standing right behind them. So look, if, if you're all at the same table and that device can't go to video games, it can't go to YouTube, it can't go to Netflix and they're there for an hour or two, then it gets shut and you're done. And also when my kids do math online, they always have paper. Like yeah. I have piles of like, just because you're using Khan Academy or whatever, you, you still use paper you still use tons of paper. So uh, if they're not using paper, if they're just passively listening or whatever, I mean, it's an active, using Zoom, using online classes, it, it, it should be an active, an active affair. And if it needs supervision, it needs supervision, especially with young kids. Older kids need it too. I mean, the teenagers, they're, look, one of the, there, there are 20 reasons why people should homeschool, like all by itself. Like if your kid's getting bullied, like pounded on every day, like you've got to pull them out. If your kid is miserable, can't get out of bed and suicidal, you should homeschool. You know, there's there's 20 reasons all by itself. And I tell people that any one by itself is sufficient. That's all you need. If your kid's getting pounded on, you got to pull them out or whatever. Or if your kid's super smart and bored, pull them out. That's enough. If your kid doesn't have time to play the violin, pull them out. But over the past 10 years, what's changed is that technology has become so pervasive that literally the only way you can control technology in your kid's life is if you pull them out. Because like you said, they're getting forced. iPads in the classroom, cell phones in the classroom, work over the Chromebook. You're losing control. All their friends are addicted to devices. It's very hard to be the one kid who doesn't have a device, the one kid who's not playing video games. Absolutely. I mean, you and I, I mean, I'm sure your mother told you if everyone jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge, would you jump off the Brooklyn? Everybody everybody gets it, but it's, it's, it's much harder to do in practice. If I were to tell you 20 years ago, that we're going to give every 12-year-old boy in their pocket a device that is a 24-hour television, that it's a 24-hour video game console, that also gave them access to a stack of porno mags that went to the moon, and we're going to give it to every 12-year-old kid. You would say, we're crazy. We never give 12-year-old kids that. But, what, but that's what they have. Yeah. And not only do they have it, all their friends have it. They think it's the normal, and they, you know, they're, 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 they got their face down the whole time. So it, that by itself... Oh, there's one thing I wanted to talk about in, that, that your readers are not going to know. A lot of people aren't going to know. But in September, the number of New York City or New York State homeschoolers doubled. In September. Usually we grow like 5 7% a year 
for a lot of reasons. The movement's been growing. It's growing and single moms do it. Ultra wealthy people do it. It's always yeah. been growing since 1980. But we doubled in September because they got rid of the religious exemption for uh, vaccines. So in other words, oh, that's right. if you didn't want to give your kid, you know, the 40 vaccination shots or whatever they require by age two or whatever, um, whatever the schedule is now, it's pretty high. If you didn't want to do that, you could say, well, my kid has a religious exemption and therefore whatever. So there was, there was a loophole. They closed the loophole in California. They closed it in New York in August. And all these people who had kids in school and didn't want their kid, you know, there's a lot of reasons why we're not going to go into that. But basically, I'll give you one example. I know somebody, I think she, she, she might live near you, but she gave me a long story about how her sister, vaccine injury, people can Google it or whatever. People have reasons why they don't want to do it. And anyway, so that was a big push for homeschooling that started in September. So actually, the, us in the homeschooling community, us professionals and even in, as people who aren't professionals, we have been already since September assimilating a ton of new people who came right out of the school system and like, well, I'm not a teacher. What can I do? And it, like, they're, they're pulling their kid out when they're 12, 13, 14, 15 sure. years old, which is tougher when, when, when they're Absolutely. young. So that was kind of a premonition of what's, you know, what just happened this past, everyone in the world got forced to homeschool. And guess what's going to happen going forward in the next few months? They're going to come up with a coronavirus vaccine or something that they say is a vaccine. And they're going to say everyone needs to get it. And you're going to have more people who are uncomfortable with that. They're going to say it's haste. We don't know, like whatever. Yeah, and, 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 and that's going to be like, it's going to continue. So you, you can't control, if your kids are in school, you can't control who their teachers are. You can't control who their friends are. You can't control the amount of technology in their life. And you can't control like, you know, whatever vaccination schedule you want. So like this stuff is, it, it's not going away. And, um, you know, it, it's good that you get a taste of it now because I know people who homeschooled their kids and then actually put their kids back in school. And now they had to pull their kids out. And they're like, we got this. We did it before. So let this be a trial run. Let That's, this be a yeah. trial run and try to, try to figure it out. Do some research. There are two ways that homeschool. Well, there's probably three ways that homeschooling people fail. One is they underestimate tech. Two is they uh, recreate school at home. Like they just teach the academic subjects. They're not doing entrepreneurship. They're not doing piano. They're not doing travel. They're, you know, no kid's going to like that, whether they're home with mom and dad or with their friends. Totally. Got to liven it up a little. And the third way that people fail is, is they don't, same way they fail in business or in fitness or whatever, they don't do any research. Like they don't, they don't dig down below the surface level. They'll just sign their kids up. Oh, I'm going to Google homeschooling curriculum and I'm going to buy a homeschooling curriculum and I'm, it doesn't work. You, you could buy the best golf clubs on earth. You're not going to be Tiger Woods unless you develop a holistic understanding of the golf swing. Absolutely. So I want to end with this. Like, are there any, do you know of any programs or anything like that or, or any uh, kind of like self-directed because this is what people were asking, like self-directed learning programs or things like that, that, that kids can do. Well, when I was in high school, even in AP modern European history class, they said, read the chapter, answer all 88 questions at the end of it. And that was it. I mean, in school, most of what kids are learning is they do all their learning at home anyway. Like you yeah. and I, we learned writing that paper at midnight the night before we didn't learn in the classroom. Yeah. Right. So there's, 
you know, all education is, is ultimately self-education. And kids today can go on, well, I'll go back to fifth grade. In fifth grade, I had a teacher who almost got fired. And this is what he did. Every week, we're in fifth grade. He said, you got to do a book report, 200-page book. We're in fifth grade. That was like way more than anyone else expected of us. Wow. Fifth grade. But that was, but that was my baseline going forward. So we read a 200-page book. We would go to the library on Friday, and the book report would be due on the following Friday. One week could be written. Next week could be oral. And sometimes we didn't get to the library on Friday, so we get the book on Monday. We'd have four days to read 200 pages. Now, my kids can read 200 pages in like a couple hours now, right? But anyway, this teacher, the other thing he did with math was he said, open your book, read the section, do all the questions, check your answers. Go to the next section, read, read, read the instruction. He didn't say do questions one through nine, 1735, the odd number. He, didn't, he just said do all of them. And people said he was a bad teacher. But I learned more from him than any other teacher because he just had high expectations of us whether he was negligent, lazy, whatever. And it, it, we learned on our own. Today, kids can go on to Khan Academy. And a lot of people don't understand this. They think Khan Academy is just uh, videos. It is not videos. It hasn't been videos for 10 years. It's a full-on comprehensive math program. And it's free. Any kid can go on there and then they get stuck. And they say they're stuck. And Khan will show them a tiny hint. And then it will show them another tiny hint. And it will quiz them and whatever. I mean, he, any kid on earth can use Khan Academy to become a math genius. The, the thing is, people just don't want to do it. I have 100 students right now on Khan Academy. Every week I get a report, like two kids do it. Well, my, not my new students, but my old students. Like two, nobody does it. Yeah. They, people walk by libraries, they don't use it. So totally. shut up and read, make them read every day, and tell them to do their math. When they're stuck with math, just let them wrestle with it. Put the question on the fridge. Don't tell them the answer. They'll get to it. it. What school does is it creates like this crazy thing where we're going to teach you about logarithms on Monday and the test is on Thursday. And it's all sorts of stress, stress for the kids, stress for the parents. We're going to hire a tutor. When you're self-directed, when you're, when you're doing math year round, when you're using the resources that abound, Khan Academy, private teachers, when you're using this stuff, you're learning about logarithms three years before the test. Yeah. You're, going, you're going at the fastest pace possible. But if you just go at the pace that, that they tell you to go at, 15, what did you say, 15, 20 minutes a day for math, you know, it, be, it becomes stressful. I'd rather you just went as hard as you can early on. And the self-directive thing, it's really just reading on their own, doing math on their own. Just, just push them into it. If, tell that. them to go on con, tell them to figure it out. You don't, need, you don't really need to buy anything. Like that's, again, buying the golf club is not going to do it. Use the library, use the free resource, use the books you have in your house and tell them to shut up and read, tell them to do their math and just shut up. Raise your expectations of them and, and, and remove the stuff that's undermining everything. You've got to remove the video games. You cannot hyper accelerate a kid if they are addicted to video games because it's taken over their subconscious mind. Yeah. They're thinking about it all week long. They're thinking about movies and Netflix all week. Just try it. Do it for two weeks. I guarantee you will see massive changes. Like this isn't, this isn't like my thing. This yeah. is well documented. There are other authors. I don't think anybody is as kind of militant about it as I am. And I don't think anybody has, has applied it the way I have, but it works for everyone. I don't own it. Yeah. And, and you know, deep down. It worked for us. <laughs> yeah. It was amazing. I, I remember when we first had that conversation, I, I went up right afterwards this was years ago, the kids were really young and they were watching, you know, like cute little 
like Daniel Tiger and things like that, like educational, you know, kids videos. It wasn't, it wasn't terrible stuff. Um, but it got to the point where they couldn't eat a meal without having the TV on. And, um, I remember I came up after that original conversation. I said to my wife, I was like, we were going to do this cold Turkey. And she was like, you're insane. Like there's no way they're just not going to eat. I was like, they'll figure it out. And, um, we told him, I think at the time I was like, the TV's broken or something like that. And, um, after two days, like the first, you know, day two, they were, I, I want the TV, 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 broken. Sorry. Broken. Sorry. After two days, they didn't even ask that first week. We noticed their behavior improve. We noticed their imagination get better. Uh, they started playing games with each other. We started playing board games. Like it was a monumental shift. And, even to the point that my wife was just looking, she's like, I cannot believe this. Like, I couldn't believe that we did it. And I can't believe that the impact, and we've shared it with so many people since. Again, I'm, I'm at this part right now where because all of this education is in this online format, like if, if I, and I've asked the teachers, I was like, could you just give me the PDFs and I will print them out and, and do like the, 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 it's, the systems are just so incapable right now of what they have. Um, but I really like, I, there's a few things that I, I'm just going to share with people that I'm really taking away from this. Um, we've kind of created like an open-ended schedule where it's like nine to 12, they do that work. I really like the way that you design it, which is more like what they have in school. It's like from this time to this time, it's math. If you finish the assignment for math, you move on to this and you do the math in this from this time to this time is writing. And it's, it's more of like, um, schedule within the schedule. So there's like a time block, but like within that time block, it's, it's more specific. Um, I think that's really, really helpful. And, um, yeah, that, that was a big, big takeaway for me. Elon, the other thing that's huge, that, that's, I mean, Einstein said imagination is more important than knowledge. Absolutely. I didn't have an art or music class since seventh grade, not, not a one. And I grew up, thinking I was a math person, thinking I wasn't creative or whatever, but like all you and I and most other adults do during the day is try to solve problems and work around obstacles. Like creativity, they're not getting it in school. They're not, they're not, I mean, this is something you don't need to be an artist to do. Yeah. You can have kids get doodling books. Ed Emberley, you, people can Google him. He's a, uh, you know, they can learn to draw. I just give kids a blank sheet of paper and say, draw. And they draw. When they're little, they'll do it. When they're 14, they won't. Yeah. But origami, kids, you can get kids into origami. Um, there's paper airplane books. There's, there's so many things that you can get on Amazon Prime that will be delivered the next day that weren't there before. But to, to circle back to that question about a self-directed curriculum, it, it, there's no curriculum. The, the, the curriculum is basically using the resources that are free and abundant if you still think that there's a curriculum that, I mean, Tiger Woods didn't become Tiger Woods by a golf class, yeah. or a, a boxed curriculum. He had a holistic approach on every single front, one-on-one -on -one instruction, habits, this, that, like you're going to need a comprehensive approach. School is a magic pill. People think if they drop their kids off at school, they're going to come back grown up, civil, civilized, literate, prepared to thrive. And it's, it's a magic pill. People don't understand that. I, one thing that I have that's unique is I went to an Ivy League college and people think 
you know, I work with parents. Oh, I want to get my kid into Dartmouth or Penn or whatever. And I'm like, there's nothing there. Yeah. There's nothing. And I didn't major in like Spanish. I majored in math and economics. There's nothing there. So at some point, they're going to have to figure out that books hold the solution and the key to everything that they want in their life. It doesn't matter whether they want to solve problems, get healthy, become magnetic, grow their career. It's in books. It's in thinking and it's in education. Education is at the nexus or like everything that people don't have, right? So there are these three spheres. There's people, money, and health. And they tell you, if you're going to sell something, pick one of those areas to sell something. It's either in relationships, money, or health. At the intersection of that Venn diagram is education. Everything we have or don't have comes back to what we were taught, what we weren't taught, what we were taught incorrectly. It goes back to our childhood, what we were exposed to, what we weren't exposed to. Like Education is like everything. And I understand that it's an offensive topic to a lot of people and it's hard to wrap your mind around, but that's because like we feel like we don't know things, right? Yes. Like our own education failed us. And the, the school system, I mean, first of all, you can't educate people in a system. A system can turn out commodity products. It's an assembly line. So the school system is never going to do for you what people think it's going to do. You are always the teacher. You control the environment at home. As Elon said, you, you set the example. More is caught than taught. And what people who resist me, they think that I make them feel bad about themselves. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make people feel like they're powerful parents and they actually can control their kids' math, reading, trajectory. They can control their kids' intellectual self-image. But you got to do a couple simple things, and you got to re-examine yourself. Like, I start with the parent. People say, no, no, I want a curriculum, but just give my kid a class. I'm like, no, you have to start internally. You have to wrap your mind around, like, like your purpose, your responsibility, the vision you want for your kids. You have to look at yourself critically and say, well, why don't I have money? Why, do, why can't I buy this or buy that? Not because everyone else is a crook. It's because we weren't learned you know, we weren't learned. We weren't learned. We didn't learn about entrepreneurship and creating passive income and marketable skills and so, because we were put in a box one way Absolutely. or another. And we have to break out of that in our own mind or at least have the desire to do that. And we have to show our kids that if they're going to have any hope. Like, so education starts with the parents, but you know, it's, it's, it's not a popular thing. On your podcast, people will buy it. In the general public, never. I, I agree. And, and there's something to be said about when you step up to be an entrepreneur and you went from an employee to now an entrepreneur, I think we all kind of start to create that shift. And as an entrepreneur, you really start to see the deficiencies of the educational system. And you really start to get, okay, the only way that this is going to work is if I can teach myself And I think that's the reason that I fell in love with books. You fell in love with books. It became a world in which we can self-learn. There's books on everything. And and those books lead to certain mentors and teachers who are specified in an incredible skill. And it just, it's a lot easier. It's, It's the thing that when I think about school or learning, the, the one thing that I, want for my kids more than anything else is to learn how to learn and have a love for mastery. Like, I don't care whether it's you want to master how to be the best crayon drawer in the world. That's awesome. You know, if, if it doesn't really matter, it's like that, that ability to work through 
the struggle, the ability to work through feeling stupid or incompetent, which we all experience. This is not something that's specific to kids. We all do it about everything we learn, but it's like, do you have the ability to work through that pain or discomfort and keep seeking and reaching for new ways and new abilities and new education to get you past that? Because at the end of it, like once you get to the other side, it's, I don't know, life just becomes a, a, a more fun game when you have better tools. Well, look, if you, what's your body going to look like if you hate exercise and healthy food? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, so if you hate to learn, if people hate, if they conflate school with learning, which sadly is what a lot of people do because you know, that school is their education. If, if you hate to learn, I can't think of a bigger way to limit a kid's future, their, their self image than, than make them hate to learn. Like that is, you know, that's like the worst thing you could do. Like a lot of what we see right now with this, with this uh, Corona thing and the people out there, some of their behavior, you can see that they, they're getting all their information from television. They have no skepticism and they have no ability to think for themselves. And you're like, well, where did they go wrong? Like, I can see people I know, they watch TV 14 hours a day. They're oh. feeding their mind with, with, with that reality. And, and they don't have, like you said, the ability to think for themselves. Entrepreneurship and homeschooling, huge overlap between the two. I spent a lot of time trying to convince entrepreneurs to homeschool. And I spent a lot of time trying to convince people who are homeschooling to push their kids to entrepreneurship and not towards, you know, just, oh, we're going to go to a just different college track. I, I have a friend and they're an entrepreneurial family in Tennessee. They're, they homeschooled since day one. Their son applied to MIT and Stanford, got into both of them and said, no, thank you. And he's working in their tech business. Hmm. And the only reason he applied to those schools was because all along, Grandma was saying you, you, to, to mom, you're not educating him. You're not setting him up. He can't get it. Like you're failing his education. So the way I like to say it is MIT applied to him and he turned MIT down. <laughs> but Amazing. yeah, huge, huge overlap and huge overlap between entrepreneurship and, and, and homeschooling. Yeah. Yeah. It just makes sense. Uh, Dan, as always, super insightful, helpful, uh, you'll, you'll be on this thread. So if there's any questions that you want to go through and, and answer people personally, but if people are listening to this in their cars or on the podcast later down the road, where can they find you and how can they, uh, find out more about what you do? Well, they can look, look up my podcast, the Einstein blueprint podcast. I kind of point people there or my website, einsteinblueprint.com. And, and lastly, I want them to look at my son's website, kidsgetrich.com. My son, John, is 15. The, the kid who started doing algebra at five. I want you to see the end game when you apply some of these principles because he's 15 and a half years old now. He's been on TV eight times. He's published a book, been in newspapers, global newspapers. He's earning money in a variety of different ways. He's teaching chess classes online and consulting for clients. And when I was starting out with my young kids, when I first heard about homeschooling, I was very curious to see the teenagers who were living in Boston. I wanted to see what the teenagers looked like. I wanted to see what the end game was like. Because yeah. if, if you can see the end game, you can wrap your mind around some of the decisions you need to, to make today. So kidsgetrich.com and Einstein Blueprint Podcast. Yeah. It's uh, it really is something, and I would definitely recommend to check out his son. And just, I remember even when we first met, I think he was maybe ten or eleven at the time, and 
just watching videos of him speak, uh, it, it, it really is something. And uh, I'm not saying that that's the route that everyone needs to go or has to go or anything like that. Dana obviously took it incredibly seriously, but I think there's a lot for all of us to learn and glean from people who have been doing it uh, by choice, not by necessity that we've all kind of been like thrown into. So uh, I hope this has been super insightful. If any of you guys have questions, I tagged Dan in the, in the uh, live chat. So if you still have questions or you're watching this on replay, um, just please leave them in there. And I'm sure Dan will, uh, will be happy to go in there and uh, answer you guys. Dan, as always, thank you so much. It was, uh, it was awesome to be with you. And uh, yeah, I hope uh, on the other side of whatever the hell we're going through is, we'll be uh, beautiful for everyone involved and we can all like use this opportunity to connect and learn and grow uh, versus just to be in fear and uh, worry and concern. You got it. Progress. That's, that's what we need. Progress. On a lot <laughs> that's, of it. that's it. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Have an amazing day. I really hope you enjoyed that awesome conversation as much as we did delivering it. And as always, thank you for your continued loyal support and your listening. Now, if you haven't already done so, please make sure you go to Facebook right now and request to join our amazing private group. It's called Personal Development Without the Fluff. It is a quickly growing community with amazing souls and amazing support. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, I can absolutely guarantee that you will love that group. Also, as I mentioned earlier, if you head to satoriprime.com forward slash my Satori, you can grab that latest 90 minute mind expanding training for free. So go grab a notepad, a drink and buckle up for that one amazing ride. Well, until next time, have an amazing day, my friend. We look forward to personally connecting with as many of you as possible and seeing how Satori Prime can help you achieve your dream life today.